Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has, di- that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was risen for them. From now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here ends the reading. Grace to you and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. It is, well, that's my phone. That's not, it better be Jesus. That's all I got. (laughs) I'm always on other people, but, um, you know... It wasn't Jesus, it was one of my kids needing rent money, I'm sure. So. Well, this never happened to me before. That's, uh, usually I'm picking on other folks. It is very good to be here. Sorry about the interruption. I almost feel like CLU is my second home. Uh, President Kimball, thanks for the invitation. And Melissa and Scott for the work. And that Energizer Bunny uh, Howie, thanks for your work. <laughs> The last time I was here was for that great celebration for the whole church when Bishop Guy Irwin was installed last fall. So I look forward to our times together, and I greet you on behalf of Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, who I saw last week, and sends her greetings as well. On purpose for purpose. What a great theme. So for what purpose are you in worship today? Turn to someone next to you, tell the answer. Why did you show up? What purpose are you here for? Or why are you at CLU? Come on, quick, you're taking my time. (laughs) Turn to somebody, you gotta move, that's quick. The question of purpose is lifelong. When I finished seminary, I knew one thing. I did not want to be a pastor. So I was accepted to graduate school in psychology at Columbia. I was in the line, ready to meet my advisor, get my first year's courses. Something was going off inside of me. What are you doing, Mark? I got out of the line, took the subway back to our apartment in Brooklyn. I own came home from her grad classes, said, how's your advisor? I said, I didn't meet her. I don't know what I'm doing. So I went into six months of therapy and vocational counseling to discern purpose. Now, at age 67, I am back in therapy. (laughs) This is true. Working with an executive coach, trying to say, what next, God? What is this purpose? It is a lifelong quest. The question of purpose can be deeply existential. Why am I alive? It can be often very personal. Why do I stay in this relationship? It can be occupational. What shall I do next? First time I met Hannah out here, right away. What are you going to do next? You're a senior. Going to go to seminary. That's the right answer. Um, (laughs) 
And sometimes the question can be cynical. So what? Here's my concern. The question of purpose can also be very self-absorbing. Something radically different happens when the question of purpose is set within the context of promise, God's promise. God's promise precedes purpose. God's promise then frees me for a purposeful life. God's promise shapes my purpose. Those three points will be on the quiz as you leave, so get them down. God's promise precedes purpose. God's promise frees me for a purposeful life. And God's promise shapes my purpose. Long before I ever thought about purpose, when I was three years old, when my only purpose in life was to be loved, to be fed, to be held, to be pooped, to poop and to change my diapers. Right then, God made a promise when my parents brought me to the font of God's baptismal waters. When God said, Mark Stephen, I call you by name and you are my beloved child. I will forgive you mercifully. I will love you steadfastly. On the last day, I'll raise you up to new life eternally. And God said, my purpose for you is you will not be self-absorbed on your own in life. I adopt you into this living community of faith called the body of Christ. And as a seal of that promise, you are given my spirit. And as a mark of that promise, you are marked with the cross of Christ forever. Just place your hand on somebody's forehead and say, you are a beloved child of God. Nothing I did as presiding bishop got as much response on YouTube as when I added my voice to the number of voices that did a little clip on It Gets Better. And all I did was to speak God's word of promise to young, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender youth when I said, you are a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image. There's a place for you here. God calls you by name. It gets better. And the responses were phenomenal. I went to one of your sister colleges, not nearly as great as CLU. It's on, it's on kind of a bluff outside of the Twin Cities. And, and a young man came and sat down next to me, tears in his eyes. He said, I never thought I would get to meet you to thank you because your church saved my life. And I said, no, my church did not do that. God did that. But he said, as an out gay high school student, all I heard from religious voices were words of exclusion. And then I saw your video clip and I said, can it be that there is a church that believes that is God's promise? Did you hear God's promise in that familiar text from 2 Corinthians? And I would say, suggest you say yes. The promise is you are a new creation in Christ. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God. And there's more. You are forgiven. Contrary to the image many people have of God, the good news is God is not in the sin accounting business. There's nothing in your past for which you need to atone to God. There's nothing in your future you need to fear from God. God forgives you, not because you're living a purposeful life, but on account of Christ. 
One of the privileges when you are presiding bishop and travel all the time is you get to board planes first. Well, somebody forgot to announce to the flight crew that we were boarding and we came on. I had my black clerics on and my pectoral cross and lo and behold, the flight attendant had fallen asleep in my seat. So I bent down as close to him as I could get with my pectoral cross swinging in his face and in a loud voice I said, Arise from the dead! And he shot out of that seat. What is amazing is what occurred in conversations about purposeful life and God's promise as a result of my playfulness. Because he and I began to talk on the flight. It was a three and a half hour, four hour flight. He had just left a vocation for 14 years as a lay catechist and education staff person in a Catholic parish outside of Milwaukee and now was exploring the vocation of being a flight attendant. The three other attendants began to talk to me in the course of the flight, first laughing about their friend that had gotten awakened from the dead, but then about God's promise. By the end of the flight, each of those flight attendants had brought me a piece of paper with one or two sins for which they felt they had never been forgiven and asked me to pronounce words of absolution. That's God's promise. You are a new creation in Christ. You are forgiven, and we are reconciled. We are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to one another. And, lest you thought that was enough, we are reconciled to the whole creation. And just think of the lengths to which God goes to be faithful to God's promise so that we might live a purposeful life. God would even choose a couple of old farts like Abraham and Sarah, way beyond childbearing years, and say, through your generations I will bless all of humankind. God stopped a murderer on the run, Moses, and said, I have a new purpose for you, not to flee my wrath, but to go to Pharaoh and demand that that Pharaoh let my people go from slavery. God sent Abraham to Mary with a strangest word of purpose. You are with child, and the child that you will bear will be the Savior of the world. And then in this Jesus, the word made flesh, God said, my purpose and promise is to bend low and meet you in your humanity. In this one, Jesus, I will meet you in your suffering, in your struggling for purpose, In fact, in Jesus, I will extend my embrace to those who are deemed unworthy of my promise, who are marginalized and excluded and outcast and despised. For that, they crucified Jesus. And on Easter Sunday morning, God said, nice try. And God raised Jesus from the dead. And now God, through That good news of Jesus, the Spirit works in us, and God's first purpose that results from that promise of God's love is faith. Luther, in his preface to the Book of Romans commentary, said, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that you could stake your life on it a thousand times, such faith causes us to suffer everything, serve everyone, out of love and praise to God who shows us such grace. 
I commend that statement to your memorization because it really is about a purposeful life born out of promise, lived in faith. So what does this promise mean for your life, my life? It means that we are called to the work of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the family business in God's family. Reconciliation is our shared work, and it begins by being free to speak the truth of our alienation. Reconciliation does not happen without us together going to the barriers that we erect to divide us from each other, to separate us from each other. Walls of economic privilege, walls of fear of those not like us, Walls of exclusion based upon sexual orientation and race and immigration status. Walls of consumptive living that alienate us from the creation that we are destroying rather than saving. Reconciliation in a polarized, mean-spirited, fragmented, politicized, privatized culture is our shared purpose. Sunday night, I was on a plane coming back from New York, Iona and I. I had my clerics on. I was reading my Bible, working on this sermon. I was, really, I was, Melissa. (laughs) Next to me was a Jewish man reading the Hebrew scriptures, praying, had a Yom on. We were busy in our praying and our reading the sacred texts, and then we began to talk. It wasn't long into our conversation that we also began to be aware that we had deep differences about the ongoing conflict between Palestinians and Israelis. So what was the challenge in that moment? The easy thing would have been to go back to our sacred texts. The tempting thing was to let those differences explode into an argumentative conversation that only widened the chasm between us. The responsible purpose was out of all that we shared in common, in one God and a shared sacred text, in a deep sense of reverence and piety and a yearning for peace, to go deeper into our differences and to find what held them in our commonality and our unity. Reconciliation isn't to deny diversity. It isn't to deny differences deeply held. But it is to find the common humanity and the common commitment to justice and peace and the common faith that holds us. It's so much easier to talk about others with whom we don't agree than to engage them in conversation. So where will our shared purpose of reconciliation take you today? Who's the student, the faculty colleague, from whom you've experienced alienation or tension or hard words were said, and it's been easier just to let it simmer? Who do you need to go to today and say, we need to talk? What is CLU's shared vocation as an academic community, a community of reconciliation. I think it's what makes you so intriguing. You take the vocation of reconciliation so seriously. 
You see it, you take it seriously as you invite the engagement across religious differences. You take it seriously as you prepare scientists who are going to go out and help us to steward the creation, not devour it. You take it seriously as you're preparing people to be civic leaders and political leaders to diminish this harsh partisanship of our culture and find a way together to seek the common good. You do it as you prepare business leaders who will go out and be successful in business but not at the expense of a widening gap between rich and poor. The good news today is God is faithful to God's promise spoken to you, and that promise sets you free for a purposeful life. For this entire community of CLU is set free for a purposeful life, and our shared purpose is the work of reconciliation. Such a holy calling it is.